Don't be wasting any time, I got somewhere to be. Always on the grind, yeah, you know me. Hold the crown. Payback Time is a podcast that dives into the real story behind the person. How did they build their business? What challenges did they overcome? What mistakes did they make? And how did they achieve their goals? The overall objective is to provide you with a roadmap that leads to success. Sean Tepper is your host. Are you ready? It's Payback Time. Imagine working so much your own child would no longer hug you. This is just one negative result of many when working for a high-pressure corporate machine. Instead of accepting this painful reality, my next guest knew he had to make a move or he would face regret the rest of his life. He decided to branch off on his own to create a sales consulting business where he helps small businesses, mid-sized businesses, and tech startups scale their sales exponentially. Please welcome Ryan Staley. Ryan, how's it going? Fantastic, Sean. Hey, good to have you here. Welcome to the show. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's great to be on, and an honor and a blessing. And uh, like I like I told you before when we talked, man, that that mic is just is is hit me with all sorts of jealousy levels. So I got I got to up my mic game. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, did my homework in the beginning to make sure I did this right. So well, cool. I I would love to hear your backstory. So if you would go ahead and kick us off. Yeah, man. So um, so yeah, just just for your audience, so they have a an understanding of who this random voice is or or video if you're doing over vlog. Um, so so basically, I lived in the corporate world for 22 years, and um, which was great. I met some really interesting, amazing, rewarding people. But I kind of ventured out on my own about eight months ago. Uh, smack in the middle of the height of, of COVID, which, uh, you know, I like a great challenge. So it's awesome. <laughs> so I came from the, um, uh, the a sales environment, my entire career, man. Sure. So I started off probably about 10, 12 years in, in a sales function, and then another 10 years in sales leadership, helped grow a company from 20 million to 380 million um, wow. in revenue. And then personally was responsible for a business unit. They grew from zero to 30 million in annual recurring revenue with a small team of only four people without marketing in a declining market. So that's kind of my claim to fame and been actively involved in a lot of communities and just really going out there and helping entrepreneurs or business owners scale their business based on the principles that I learned um, and, and truly mastered through going throughout sure. that process. Sure. That's awesome. I want to unpack your, the businesses you worked for. You don't have to give any names, but I would like to know the type of business model. Was this B2B or B2C? And was this like right. channel partner sales or enterprise sales? It was, yeah, man. It, so it was B2B okay. and it was direct and it was uh, not enterprise my entire career. That's where, uh, you know, probably the last six years was only focused on enterprise it, which is the only way we were able to achieve those numbers sure. was by constantly leveling up. So, yeah, I mean, we got contracts up to $20 million um, it, within that space from some big no name companies, you know, we're talking like Amazon, Whole Foods, um, Bed Bath & Beyond, really big name companies. And so mm -hmm. uh, the beautiful thing about like selling to companies or organizations like that is you meet some of the smartest people in the world. Yes. and you see how the biggest companies are run and the problems that they're having and how to, how to fix and help them and how complicated they are from a political perspective. So, um, so yeah, it was, it was an amazing experience. That's, I can agree with you. Cause I've been at, in software engineering for about 
15 years, but the last 10 have been really focused on big business. You know, and I've worked for a few public companies and, and it's so cool to be on the inside of that and be um, in the, in the process of negotiations and contracts and, and marketing and sales and long sales cycles. I've been there, right. You probably dealt with that on the, on the business side. It doesn't happen like uh, tomorrow, right. Oh, yeah. take months on up to a year. <laughs> There's deals we worked on for like three years. Believe yeah. It yeah. So it's, it gets, it gets kind of obnoxious, but the reason why, like, I love working with entrepreneurs right now, and you're, you're probably the same, same mm-hmm. way or smaller businesses is because a lot of what you take for granted at really big companies isn't happening at smaller companies. Right. right? And you can execute on them hyper fast because you don't have all the political baggage. You know, you don't have, you don't have to have <laughs> no red tape. People. Yeah. You don't have, have to have 10 people sign off on it to get yes. it done. You talk to a couple people and you show the value and you make their lives easier and solve their problems. And they're like, yes. go, you know? So that's one of the things that I love about it, man. What, what type of business were these like tech businesses you work for manufacturing, uh, pharmaceutical? Yeah. So it was essentially managed services. So Got it was, it. It was technically oriented, but it was managed services for how companies print. So basically we look at a combination of their, their hardware infrastructure, uh, the software they're leveraging, the supplies, the service, the people, all those components, sure. map it out in terms of like a hard specific ROI and then a value ROI and then get them to make a large scale change on something that was not sexy, attractive. Mm-hmm. It wasn't blockchain. It wasn't AI. It wasn't machine learning. Um, however, you know, that's the, like I, like I was saying, man, the beautiful thing about that is if you don't have like the easy button with some of that, you have to get really, really freaking good at what you're doing yeah. to get and maintain people's attention. And so that, that was like a big, big um, effort that I worked on. And I had an amazing team too. That's cool. So, so I want to talk about the transition moment here. I love transition moments because in my opinion, one of the hardest parts of becoming an entrepreneur is that, that transition, that leap, mm-hmm. if you will. So what motivated you to start your own business? Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's really interesting because I, I feel like I just went through another transition moment about two weeks ago. Okay. So, I, I, but my, when I knew I wanted to start my own business, I think what happened was, man, I saw that I just, I've always worked in sales and sales is, is a profession where just like, whether you're looking at investments, there's a scoreboard, right? Mm-hmm. So you can always see like how good you're doing. Like, are you executing or not? Right. It's binary. Right. Is the number going up or is it going down? Yes. <laughs> and, which is a blessing and a curse at the same time. Right. But it's hyper tangible. And so what happened is, you know, throughout my career, I, I, I mean, I saw, I kept saw, seeing the numbers go up and up and up and I'm like, okay, this is good. And my income would go up with it. However, you, one of the problems that happened was I saw that it was almost like, it was like a hill or it was like a mountain. The numbers would go up and I, I would keep making more money and helping more people and working with larger clients mm-hmm. or my team was right. But then what would happen is the budget numbers would keep going up, but then the income would start to go down just like the other side of the mountain. So basically you would have to sell 30% more, 50% more, hundred percent of what you sold the prior year. And you would make the same amount of money. Mm. So I'm like, huh, like, this isn't cool. And right. you know, I, ha- I went through that experience multiple times as a rep and I'm like, all right, this is just cause I'm a rep. That's not the case when you're in leadership too. 
Um, and, and I'm sure you see this on the investment side. If you're owned by a VC company or a private equity company, they have different motivations based on their investors. And so after a while, they start to see the cash stack up and they're like, hey, you know, we, we, we think these guys are making too much money. You need to start adjusting things. <laughs> yes. And so what happens is, and I've, I've talked to my friends who've been in acquisition, same thing, man. Yeah. And, and so it makes it really, really difficult to make it sustainable. And so that was one of the reasons. The other reason why is because, uh, because it was in that environment, I kept getting pressed and pressed to do more and more and more without any additional resources. And eventually it got to the point, and this is something I mentioned before mm-hmm. briefly, is it got to the point where I, I had to sacrifice all of my relationships to basically keep up from a time perspective. So I was working 60, 70 hours a week. I was traveling all the time. I was never around. And then what happened was it came all to a forefront when I came home from work one day, this is about seven years ago, mm-hmm. and I was sitting there and basically like, I was so excited because my daughter, who was two at the time, was, was sitting there and I went up to give her a hug. And I was so excited to see her because I got home early for a change. And, you know, she wouldn't give me a hug at all. You know, she wouldn't even come by me. And, wow. and the reason for that, Sean, is, is because I was never around, right? You know, kids, kids spell love um, with another four letter word, and that's called time. Yes. Little, right. The amount of time you're around them. And, and obviously there's more to it than that, but that's a key that's yeah. KPI for them, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Even though kids don't work on KPIs, but you get what I'm saying. I'm trying to, <laughs> totally. I'm trying to talk up to your audience here. So keep up the lingo. Yep. Yeah, man. So as a result, because of that happened, I'm like, okay, this is not sustainable what I'm doing. And I need to look at things differently. And I'm like, I'm always going to be a slave or I'm always going to be a prisoner to my employer based on what they want, I'm going to keep performing and then it's going to top out. And so it's like, I don't want that shit anymore. I want to basically be in charge of my own freedom. I want to make my own calls and I want to make my own decisions on how to do things. And so at that point, I started trying to be an entrepreneur at my company, which Mm -hmm. I did successfully with some things and unsuccessfully for other things. Like I could, they wouldn't allow me to. right? Right. And eventually I outgrew the position. I'm like, I don't really want my boss's position. I don't want to be the CEO of this company. This I want to I want to serve people at a high level and really help them make their lives better. And I didn't see the previous company I was at as a vehicle. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to build my own vehicle for that. Nice. So that was kind of like the compelling time that that made me realize that I needed to go in a different direction. Great, great backstory there. I, I love the motivation. I love the transition. So this is a perfect moment to dovetail into your new business model. So what do you do right now for your customers? Yeah. So right now there's, there's kind of two business models I'm working on short term mm-hmm. and it's going to continue to expand from there, but short term um, right now I'm advising companies as like a fractional VP of sales or chief revenue officer um, through a means, but instead of just having that kind of ambiguous, like, Hey, I'm an executive for you. I'm going to help you out and grow revenue. Right. I've designed three hyper-specific sprints that are revenue sprints. They create seven figures in revenue for the CEO or the founder, um, without adding any new people, without taking outside investment without bringing on risk. And they're based on the core concepts I used, which I didn't even know I was using them at the time, which is beautiful to scale that zero to 30 million annual recurring revenue with four people. So um, the beautiful thing is I'm like, hey, this is something that could really help small businesses explode because on average, Sean, mm-hmm. 
founders and owners might have only 15, 20% of their time to focus on core revenue, right? Mm -hmm. To grow their business. Whereas like, I mean, if you think about it for 22 years, that's all I did for 50 to 60 hours a week. Right. And so like, there's a lot you learn from all the intricacies, the nuances there. So that's one. The second is too, I'm also doing advisory work uh, for startups. And then at the same time, coaching revenue leaders or sales executives. So that's what I'm doing right now. I'm going to continue with some of that, but then expand into other areas and offerings kind of as, as that ramps up. So. Gotcha. Okay. No, that makes uh, perfect sense here. You're, you're very much a consulting practice and, and service business. Do you have any employees or are you running solo? I'm a solopreneur right now, man. There you go. I have, actually, that's kind of a lie. So I have different people that I leverage and I externally pay, but I don't have like a full-time staff there. Sure. I, I outsource components of what I do. And that's yep. going to continue to grow and expand uh, for right now. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've been in that position too, where you, you can bring on contractors or, or part-time um, contractors through uh, sites like Upwork or um, TopTel is another one. And that way you can, you can bring on people for a short term. They can crank out a project for you, help move the needle, and, and they're not a full-time employee. So You got it, man. Yep. I love it. So we were talking a little bit about you've got a, you've got a software component idea you might be adding. Can you share that idea? Yeah, it, and it's, it's a little premature probably for me to get really deep into it. It's okay. just like, but what I'm seeing is like, and it was pretty cool. I, I know you usually bring up on your show, like rapid fire, like favorite book you're reading. Mm -hmm. One of the books I'm reading right now is called Tiny Habits. Have you ever heard of that? I have. Have yeah. you read it? I have not. Dude, you have to read it. Okay. Okay. So basically, have you, have you heard of Atomic Habits by James? Yes. Quigley? Yeah. Okay. Did you read that book at all or no? I, I didn't. I, I spent a lot of my time in finance books. <laughs> okay. So this might be beautiful for you um, because James, or I'm sorry, James Clear, that book's probably sold like 3 million copies or something stupid. Well, Tiny Habits is actually the research behind that book. So it's from a Stanford professor named BJ Fogg. And BJ Fogg actually had one of, had the uh, founders of Instagram learn behavior design in his class. So it's pretty impactful when, wow. when yeah. So in light of the business that you're in and, and the direction you're going, um, he talks about behavior design specifically with software and how to leverage it and make it simple and easy. So it's adopted at a, a massive rate. So um, anyways, long story short, for my, my software solution, um, it's a little too early to talk about it, but basically I'm seeing continuous patterns mm -hmm. that businesses, whether they're $1 million, $5 million, $10 million, 20, 50, 60, 70, none of them are doing um, a piece of, of what I'm providing where they're scaling referrals. And so I'm going to create a solution around that um, to make it very simple, you know? Mm -hmm. And so th things like that, pieces of patterns that I see that are problems in the market and just really help them um, simplify it. Let's take a quick commercial break. Do you feel like stock investing is too confusing, too time consuming or too risky? It doesn't have to be. Ticker gives you the power to manage your own investments, reduce risk, and beat the market along the way. If you ever considered investing on your own but don't know where to start, Ticker is your solution. Ticker safely guides you through your investment journey, finding on-sale stocks and showing you why those stocks are on sale, giving you the confidence that you're making a wise investment. 
I created Ticker because, number one, I wanted to remove emotions from investing. In other words, I wanted a software to make buying and selling decisions for me so I don't have to. And number two, I wanted to save time. Analyzing businesses can take hours, if not days, and I didn't want to invest the time. Again, I wanted a software to do it for me. I've been using Ticker the last five years to generate average returns ranging between 15% and 50% per year. Seeing that I was generating consistent returns multiple years in a row motivated me to turn this into a software to share with others. If you're interested, you can get started with a free trial, no credit card required. Visit ticker.pro. That's T-Y-K-R.pro. Again, ticker.pro. I, I will ask, you don't have to go into the weeds, but at a high level, is this going to be like an education platform or like a CRM tool? What are your thoughts there? No, it's it's a utilization tool, man. I want to okay. help people. I want to help, and it, and this is the beautiful thing. Whether it be someone like you, you mm-hmm. know, that's that's getting started, someone that's seasoned, or a different organization, I want to create a solution that that basically helps them grow revenue in a very simple, easy, and effective manner, and connects people at at scale. You know, that like I mean, word of mouth is expanding as it is right now. And one of the solutions I, I help companies with is creating referral systems That's across their environment. Um, so there's opportunities like that. And, and there's other areas where you can essentially scale um, components of what I'm talking about so that it, it just, it makes it a lot simpler and less manual. Mm-hmm. Gotcha, okay. Um, I wanna revert back to this consulting practice and this will be helpful for the audience to know, is there a certain type of business you tend to serve more than others? Yeah, it's funny. I'm attracting a lot of tech companies, software companies, managed services companies. Um, It's kind of funny now, like I'm actually having people proactively reach out to me. Um, I had a guy literally yesterday reached out to me and asked me to be a co-founder for a software company that he created. And so Mm -hmm. those are the type of folks that I'm, I'm attracting. Um, so I, I'm not only specific to that niche though, but like, if you're looking at like a perfect customer, it'd be like a CEO or founder led sales organization, right. That is anywhere from 1 million to maybe 20 million in revenue that wants to scale, um, fast without taking on money to do that, you know? And, and like I said, there's core principles that are so simple, um, that the big companies are using that the little guys aren't using. So Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's a, an amazing opportunity for that space. Yep. And when you work with a business, do you prefer to work with like the CEO or maybe a designated VP of sales directly, or who's a, who's the right person in the company that you work yeah, with? Yeah. A lot of times, I mean, as you go up market, it's more the revenue leader, but, but right now I've been working strictly with the founder and CEO. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Now, the reason I ask that is, is kind of a selfish question asking about my businesses. I'm wearing multiple hats. I don't have a chief revenue officer of VP of sales right now, but um, someday, of course, I want to have that. Somebody dedicated to sales. Right now, it's like, I would say, to be honest with you, the majority of my time is focused on software engineering and, and, and yeah. some marketing, but sales is, I wish I could dedicate more time to it. Truly. Well, and that's typical, man. And so like, here's the thing, like hiring a chief revenue officer or VP of sales is like, I would say is arguably like the most important hire you can mm-hmm. make. And it's, it's the most risky and it's the hardest hire to make. 
Yes. The average tenure of a VP of sales is 16 months. 16 wow. months. Yeah. And so like, that's part of why I went to this model, man, is because mm -hmm. like I, I've seen peers and I'm, I'm still like evaluating the marketplace because I want to serve at a high level and really help people. Yep. But there's, there's people that are like fractional VPs of sales that are charging 10, 15 grand a month. And it's not really designated towards a specific outcome from what I've seen. Yes. So, right. So I'm like, okay, what can I do to compress the time so people get a result in a really fast period of time, mm -hmm. but design custom around what they need. And so that's where I kind of look at those three tracks, right? Do you want to expand the revenue with existing customers? Do you want to create a warm lead machine mm -hmm. or do you want to replicate and multiply your biggest customer, expand and multiply your biggest customer? Um, right. So those are kind of like the three focus areas, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's, and, and to round out what I'm talking about, it's to do that in like a three month period. So it's nice. to find out where the opportunities are, hit one of those tracks. And so, and they could go on a track two or track three after that first one's executed. But instead of being a generalist, it's like, hey, let's get hyper-specific and focus on a system that you could, and when I say system, process and execution, right? Yep. So that, that it's uh, repeatable and then you scale up like that and then take it from there, man. I great points there. I have to raise this question. You mentioned 16 months average uh, duration there at a company. Why is that? Um, so I, I would say, and like, I don't have a magic wand mm -hmm. <laughs> or I, I don't know all the answers when it comes to it. However, I'm around a lot of revenue leaders and around a lot of chief marketing officers um, with the groups I participate. And what I would say is, is, you know, and it's so funny, like, for example, there's a, a, a guy out there, I'm not going to say his name, who's, who made his name working for a really big company selling big deals. Mm -hmm. and, and basically, he's, he's good at that. He's done that. But he positions himself as a big deal master, right? Which, which he's done some great work there. However, if you work for a Fortune 500 company and you're selling big deals, it's exponentially different than if you work for a $2 million company that doesn't have brand recognition and you're selling it from scratch. Right. And so like those different dynamics of how a company is set up are really, really critical because what you need to do at different life stages of the business are completely different on what you need to focus on. Right. You know, like, have you seen, have you heard the kind of the analogy where like revenue numbers are like, like zero to 1 million is infant. 1 million to 5 million is yes. you know, childhood, yes. adolescent, that same concept, but what you need to focus on for sales dif differs at different times. So gotcha. a lot of people don't get that and understand that. So they'll take someone who's, who's an experience at working at the adult stage mm -hmm. for an infant, and it, it's totally different skill sets on, on what needs to apply. So if I had a guess, that's one reason. The second reason, is um, salespeople are really good at talking and telling people what they want to hear. So sometimes I think salespeople can overrepresent themselves in terms sure. of what they do and, and how they could serve and support people. So um, that's the other thing, man. And I've been fooled by that when I've hired, I've made bad hires before myself for salespeople. So sure. you get up to uh, management and they're even better at that. So. <laughs> skilled in the art of BS. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm one of them. So, you know, I'm a salesperson at heart, so I'm making fun of myself here, not just anybody else. Sure. Yeah. 
Um, I got to ask this question before we dive into the rapid fire round. And, and you're a sales guy who has proven results. The amount mm-hmm. of million, millions of dollars of revenue you've increased in, in business, most people can't attest to. I've met a lot of salespeople, men and women. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them, this alludes to a comment you just made, is they're great at talking. But when you bring them on or they get involved, a month goes by, two months goes by, three months, and they're not generating any revenue. And you keep asking, what's the deal here? What's, what's going on here? And it could be small business sales. I've dealt with it in tech sales. Mm-hmm. And it blows my mind. Why, why is it so difficult for most people to sell? I, I don't, do you have an answer for that? Maybe I'm not being specific enough. <laughs> no. Why? So why are you saying, why is it hard? Why, why do people have like a different, um, like why are people not executing? I guess is what Yeah. Right. Yeah. It seems to be, you know, I've done some sales majority has been project management and there's a sales component to that, but it's not mm-hmm. like at your level, like you're right. always selling and you're closing million dollar deals. Um, but there's a lot of people that, you know, they could maybe sell pizzas door to door, but as soon as you get in, into a business and sell a, like a managed IT service to smaller mid-sized businesses or a SaaS product, or um, e- even thinking about moving up to an enterprise level would be impossible for them. I don't know why people can't, they can't get there. Most people can't, they don't have the capability, in my opinion, from the majority of salespeople I've met. Yeah. Well, here's what I would say is like, and, and this is funny because this is one of your strengths, I would imagine being, you know, with the software engineering background mm-hmm. is a lot of sales folks aren't process oriented people. Like if you look at like the vast majority of like, like the disc profile in terms of personality mapping of how people self-identify mm-hmm. who they are. Um, often the folks that the most, and I would say not everybody, but 90% of them fall within two categories that are, are extroverted, that have bad attention to detail and process, right? That's not everybody, sure. but that's one aspect. So um, it's kind of funny, man, because I've seen that, that sale, a lot of sales leaders have risen up through that sales rank. And so there's not a lot of process around sales. Got it. And when you look at it, there's, there's kind of multiple layers of process. There's a process around strategy. Mm-hmm. There's a process around just like the mechanics of what you need to do in a repeated nature. Sure. And then there's the other part, and this is more free flowing is, but you could turn it into a process is the execution in median execution. And so what happens is people have to oscillate between a lot of different core skills to get to that point. And I think, um, a lot of people don't put in the work mm. to get to that level. Cause like, for example, I mean, I would say like your first year in a sales job, most of the time is equivalent to like starting a business. Cause you're starting from scratch. You're building a territory totally. unless you're handed accounts. And so there's just a lot of different skill sets you need. And, and like, we don't always set salespeople up to succeed in the best way. Mm-hmm. So I, I, if I had to give you a short, quick answer, that's probably what I would do. I, you nailed it on the head. And, and as you were explaining that process, I look at all the salespeople that were talkers, but not doers. They lacked process. Mm-hmm. There was no rigid process step-by-step. Step. You couldn't hold them accountable to putting anything in Excel or documentation, like your step A, your step B, using a CRM that was a common denominator, like not using a, a systematic process or CRM to walk the client through the process. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is the common denominator. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a big thing, man. And and it's funny because you see business owners struggle with the same thing, you know, mm-hmm. like when they're trying to scale revenue, like I'll tell you this, this is a tip for anybody who's got a SaaS company is, mm-hmm. you know, I've seen companies that have 94% retention rate with customers, which is, I think is awesome, right? That's, that's a low amount of churn. And we're not talking like $50 a month. We're talking hundreds right. of thousand dollars for a solution. But this is the thing, after they get the customer, they're not talking to the customer. Mm. So if you just set up a design process to talk to the customer, you can get reviews, you can get feedback on the product and then you can get referrals. Then you could also upsell them. So like, that's the stuff that a lot of people are missing too. And it's not even small company. I saw a $60 million company the other day that doesn't even have a process set up. So it's interesting, man. It's weird. It's, Mm. it's, it's, uh, it's unique. There's a lot of opportunity there. And um, yeah, man, it's just exciting because that's why I'm kind of focused on the areas that I am. I see some, not just low-handed fruit, but fruit that's like on the ground. You right, know? right. No, I see the demand for your your service. I mean, just spending the time here with you, um, you know, if we're in a sales pitch, it's like, I get it. Like, that's what we need is we need that rigor. We need that process in place to not only bring in leads, but to help close sales. And then more importantly, retention thereafter and upsells. People overlook that. Totally. It's so funny. So many companies look at like, I got to get more new customers. I got to get more new customers. Right. And it (laughs) takes, it takes, which is true. You always have to get more new customers. Right. However, you could close an existing customer in 30% of the time. And um, sometimes 150% of the deal size. Mm -hmm. If you just, expand what you sell them. Yes. You know, so, yep. and people walk right by that. They step over dollars to pick up pennies all the time with that. One. Yes. I've, I've heard that analogy many times. <laughs> good point. Thanks, man. Well, good. Um, we're at about the half hour mark. Let's dive into the round here where we get to learn who Ryan truly is. You ready? Yeah, man. Hit me. Okay. If you could answer each question in 15 seconds or less, let's do this. Okay. I feel like I'm on a game show here. <laughs> All right. What's your favorite podcast? Uh, marketing Secrets by Russell Brunson. I listen to it every Monday and Wednesday because he talks about marketing and life and selling. Uh, just business sure. too. Entrepreneur. I love it. Sure. Yeah. Um, what is a book, recent book you read and would recommend? I, I, I actually just saved here the tiny habits, if that's, that's yeah, one. Yeah. And for people that are watching, um, this is another one that's good. I'm holding it up. Personality isn't permanent. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's by Dr. Ben Hardy. Um, brilliant guy. A uh, lot. The book just just really gave me insight in terms of why I do a lot of what I do and why people do a lot of what they do. So the I don't think the title does it justice, but it's a great book worth checking out. Personality isn't perfect. Nice. Good recommendation. All right. Next question. What is your favorite movie? That's a great question, man. Like there's classics. Like, you know, like Tommy boy, that's, uh-huh. uh, that's yeah. like, a, that's a classic, but it's funny. And I, I don't know if this has rooted me cause I'm a, I, my childhood, but the first movie that popped in my head when you said that, which must mean it is, is Goonies from when yes. I was a kid Yeah, with, with Chunk doing the truffle shuffle. And, uh, but I haven't watched it. My kids watch it. So maybe that's why it popped in my head, but I love superhero movies. I love yeah. movies, you know, but yeah. Because you mentioned Goonies, I'll definitely have you on again. For that reason alone. <laughs> yeah, man. It's, it's such a classic. It's it's evergreen. My kids still think it's funny with uh, Chunk and Sloth that you can't sure. go wrong there. 
So not to segue here, but I, I did a road trip on the West Coast this last year from Seattle down to San Francisco. We stopped in Astoria. Nice. I got some photos of the Goonies house. Oh, you got to send me that, man. We yes. almost did that, but it was like two hours out of the way. So we didn't go from where we were at when I was out there. It's a cool little town. It's, really? uh, yeah, yeah. So that's awesome. I, but the most exciting moment was, yes, right there in front of the Goonies house. You checked the box. It's good, man. That's awesome. <laughs> All right. Next question here. Favorite food? Yeah. It, I'm, I'm like, as I've gotten older, cause I, I burn like one tenth the amount of calories I used to, Oh yeah. Um, yeah. I, I eat healthy now most of the time. Um, I love Mexican food, like if, in my cheat days and I love, there's like some certain pizza around here. So, sure. uh, yeah, man, if I had to whittle it down to one, it'd probably be like chicken steak and fajita combo from Uncle there you go. sounds weird. <laughs> All right. How many hours do you work per week? Uh, that's a good one, man. Um, so I am probably working around 50 to 55 right now. Okay. Um, I'm trying to get a lot of projects off the ground and build the team. And, um, but we talked about transitions. That's one of the things I've, I've kind of evolved with over the last few weeks and um, made some changes to sleep habits and other things that are making a big impact. So nice. Nice. Good for you. Uh, speaking of sleep, how many hours of sleep do you get each night? Yeah, I was, I was chartering around like between six and seven because I was waking up for four 30 in the morning for 5am workouts. Yes. And, uh, I still do that. Um, but not always. So probably closer to between seven and in, uh, maybe six and a half to eight right in there. So maybe about seven and a half, you had to put it seven. Sure. Seven's probably a good number actually. Okay. Okay. It's not bad. As soon as people start falling below five or six, I, I do give them a little trouble. Yeah. Makes <laughs> sense, man. Right. All right. What's your workout regimen? Uh, so there's a boutique gym, you know, that's not like an LA fitness, but a smaller one and they do hit workouts. So I'll do nice. that three times a week usually. And I'll do uh, just cardio the other day. Um, so I work out usually like four days a week. Okay. Nice. Good for you. All right. And last question here, if you could go back in time to give your younger self advice, what age would you visit and what would you say? That's a great one. Not, not just what would you say, but what age would you visit, man? Mm -hmm. Deep mm -hmm. and thoughtful. Okay. So the number that jumps out to me is 24. Okay. Because I know enough about what the hell is going on in the business world, but I'm not, I'm totally green. And I think I would tell myself that um, anything's possible and that I needed to just read biographies on like, amazing people that I would want to model and create the same results as nice across nice. business, personal development and life, not just one category across multiple areas. Yep. Yep. Well, good advice. And I'll turn it over to you. Where can the audience reach you? Yeah, man. So I have my own podcast and show I'm, I'm doing on LinkedIn live at three o'clock on Thursdays is, is the time I'm, I'm kind of settled on. Um, it's called the sales and marketing built freedom podcast. And so I have entrepreneurs that are uh, basically sales leaders, business owners, or marketing executives, um, and basically pick their brain and get their ninja skills. So sales and marketing built freedom. Sorry, my printers know my wife must've sent something on it. Um, <laughs> and so sales and marketing built freedom. It's on Apple podcasts and it's on Spotify as well. Uh, you can also just look at my name, Ryan Staley, and find it there. Awesome. All right, Ryan. Very insightful. Thanks for your time. This is great. Thanks, man. It was awesome being on. I really appreciate it.
All right. We'll see ya. Hey, I just want to say thanks for checking out this podcast. I know your time is valuable and there's a lot of other podcasts out there you could be listening to. So thanks for taking the time to listen to my guest story. If you did enjoy this podcast episode, could you head over to iTunes and leave a five-star review? That would be much appreciated. Thank you. And last but not least, on this podcast, uh, some episodes we do talk about stocks. And please keep in mind, this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. So if you did hear any buy or sell recommendations, please don't make those decisions based solely on what you hear. All right. Thanks a lot. See ya. Don't be wasting any time. I got somewhere to be. Always on the grind. Yeah, you know me. Hold the crown will be mine. You can call me king. A matter of time for you all love me. Find me at my prime right where I want to be. I'm one of a kind and no one like me.